This morning's reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the news of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptise if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I am baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we mentioned at the start of the service today, we're in the season of Epiphany, uh, focused on the revelation of the child born at Christmas to the world. So we could call it the big reveal, uh, which these days could well be the name of a TV show, couldn't it? There are lots of promos for TV shows that say, don't miss the big reveal on the block or The Bachelor, or Big Brother, Thursday night on Channel 10. And they uh, tantalise the public with the promise of explosive news that's going to rock the TV world, uh, suggesting that your life will be miserably deprived if you miss it, so don't dare. And uh, then they manage to string the show out for two or three hours, Uh, overflowing with countless ad breaks, teasing you until they finally do the big reveal. And then at last you know. Who likes and who hates which house? Who likes and hates which bachelor, bachelorette, 
or housemate and who's getting evicted and doesn't knowing that make the world a better place? Uh, Well, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which does make the world the best place, is free to every human being. No ad breaks. And it's right there in the words of the Bible. And so we're going to see uh, what that revelation is and what it means in our lives from John 1, 19 to 34, looking at firstly... The voice, verse 23, speaks of the voice of one crying. Secondly, the victor, there's a key figure who wins a great victory. And thirdly, the vocation, the voice and the victor call us to a very special purpose. So firstly, the voice. And in referring to the voice, I want to acknowledge here that I'm borrowing the genius theme of Tim Keller in his interpretation of John the Baptist, who's in the focus in our reading today. The passage starts with the question, who is John the Baptist? And uh, John had been preaching out in the wilderness, calling people to repent and be baptised, announcing that the kingdom of God is near, And uh, people have been going out to hear him in droves and he's been causing quite a stir. And so the priests and the Levites, the church leaders, uh, they go out to demand an answer as to who he thinks he is. And they ask if he's claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, This was a figure that had been promised and prophesied in the Old Testament uh, chosen by God to be a saviour of the people of Israel, particularly to save them from those who oppressed them. And at the time of John, that was the Roman Empire, others before that. But um, hope for this kind of a saviour is actually a universal human theme, as alive and well today as in ancient Israel, That's why superhero movies are always blockbusters and why people readily rally around all sorts of cult figures, however unlikely. The church leaders also asked John if he is Elijah or the prophet. These were other figures from the Old Testament expected to come before and announce the Messiah. But John declines to answer that he is any of these great figures. He says that he is just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah 40 verse 3 that we started the service with today. And he's saying by that that he is not here to think or talk about himself or his status at all. He is only here to think and talk about another. He is saying, I'm only a mere voice to say, prepare the way of the Lord. It's him, the Lord, who is all important. I'm just a signpost to him. In fact, John says that he's nothing and in fact less than nothing 
in speaking of the other one who is coming after him, he says, I'm not worthy even to untie his sandals. Now, uh, we're getting this year some serious Aussie summer weather starting and most of us will have donned the sandals and thongs, uh, which is very relaxing and comfortable. But of course, along with that goes filthy, smelly feet, especially if we're getting around off-road at all. But in ancient Israel, it was sandals full-time and pretty much all off-road, apart from a you know, few paved Roman roads. So filthy, smelly, sandaled feet were a hundred times worse in ancient Israel than they are in 21st century Australia. And so much so that it was considered the most filthy, degrading task to ever untie another's sandals. In fact, a slave owner wasn't permitted to require their slave to do it for them. But John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's saying he's below untouchable, less than nothing. Now, uh, in the West today, we're going to be saying, boy, oh boy, has John got major neurotic problems. We would consider him a basket case of morbid low self-esteem. But no, we'll see he actually has a healthier attitude about himself than most of us postmodern Westerners. Now, in talking about John's view of himself as the voice, we're already starting to touch on the revelation of who Jesus is. John is clearly saying that Jesus is a supremely great figure in all of human history. That's because Jesus is the victor. He wins a great victory, our second point. Now, the Isaiah 40 reference identifies Jesus as the Messiah and as the Lord, God Almighty, the Creator, Redeemer himself. But it's something else that convinces John that Jesus will achieve the greatest victory of all time. This comes up in verse 29 when he declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We might well think, well, it doesn't sound too victorious, a little lamb. Uh, They're actually killed to eat or sacrificed as an offering. In fact, it sounds like the epitome of weakness Can you imagine an Aussie Rules footy team being named the Lambs? So how could he achieve a victory? Well, the Lamb of God reference takes us straight away to the Passover, a central celebration for the people of Israel, recalling when Egypt had taken the Israelites captive made them slave labour, oppressed them brutally, evilly, relentlessly and therefore God pronounced a terrible judgement 
the angel of death would come to the land and the firstborn son of every family would die. But if the Israelites took the blood of a lamb offered to God and wiped it on their door frames, they would be saved from the angel of death. But if not, their firstborn sons would die too. The Israelites were also sinners. They also had to be saved. This event showed God's desire and promise to save people from sin and death by providing a sacrifice for them. Now, the sacrifice of lambs couldn't do this. They were just a sign that one day God would provide a sacrifice able to cancel and forgive all sin and to overcome all death for all time. But who or what will be this sacrifice? And then John sees it, he gets it, Jesus is the Messiah Saviour, he is God in person, he's the one sacrifice in history who by his death will pay the price for all sins, forgive them, destroy all evil powers and ultimately defeat death itself. If the Son of God had come into the world only in might and force, he would have defeated evil And he would also have obliterated all who are evil. That would include us. But because he comes in weakness as a sacrificial lamb to die for us, he can destroy sin and evil, but he can save us from that destruction. And he saves us from that in order to save us into the Father's love, his family, into resurrection, eternal life, into a new heaven and a new earth. And this is a salvation that is by grace alone. Jesus Christ does it. We don't. We can't. We are all equally sinful and lost. We cannot do a thing to save ourselves Neither do we deserve it, yet Christ offers his saving grace equally to all who will receive it. When we truly understand the nature of this gracious salvation, we have to agree this is the greatest of all possible victories. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is victor. And so John's whole being is strained as a voice to speak only of Jesus, as a signpost bent to point only to him. And in light of that, we need to just return to John's view of himself for a moment to clarify something important. By speaking of himself as nothing by comparison with Jesus, John wasn't neurotic, 
nor did he have morbid low self-esteem. I mean, did he, did he look like one with low self-esteem? You know, you, you'd expect somebody who, who was morbid with low self-esteem to be a recluse and to be nervous and fearful and weak. I guess John was probably the opposite of that. He was out talking to everyone. He was bold. He was fearless. He was a titan. The reason he thought nothing of himself is because he didn't look at or think about himself at all. He looked entirely away from himself to Jesus Christ. You know, in our culture, we are taught to get our self-understanding from ourselves. And so we're taught to believe in and affirm ourselves, you know, to G ourselves up all the time that we are good and valuable and gifted and able to accomplish whatever we want to. But actually, we get just as much of our view of ourselves from what other people think and say about us, not just what we say about us. You know, what other people think and say about whether we've done the right thing or are, and are acceptable, whether we've achieved enough, whether we're worthy of praise or if we've done the wrong thing and are unacceptable and are losers. But I've got a question. Does getting our self-understanding either from our own assessment of ourselves or from others' assessment of us, does that make us psychologically healthy and well-balanced people who are always resilient and enjoy life? No, it makes us susceptible to every slight criticism amongst our circle of friends or on Facebook, whether it's real or imagined, and susceptible to any slight self-doubt in our own minds. And these criticisms and doubts can make our whole world fall apart in an instant. I knew a young man who tragically took his life to a significant degree because of criticism on Facebook. John didn't get his view of himself from what he thought nor from what others thought. He got it only by looking to Jesus and what Jesus thought and said. And what does Jesus say? Well, as the Lamb of God, he implicitly says, I've given my life in love to die for you, to forgive all your sins to reconcile you to God the Father and to raise you to where I was to be true, glorious children of God the Father. And in Matthew 11, Jesus praises John the Baptist saying that there was no greater human being than him. Or how can that be? That's because, again, John had the whole focus of his life on Jesus, being a voice speaking for him 
And that meant that all of Jesus' greatness and glory was channeled through John. You see, to witness to Jesus Christ is to stream Jesus Christ. But you can't have Jesus dwelling in you or flowing through you without also participating in everything that belongs to Jesus. Everything that belongs to him, we get a share in. Paul said, do you not realise about yourselves that Jesus is in you? And in another place he said, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in another place he says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In himself John was nothing, but bearing witness to Jesus, he had the greatest glory that a person can have. So you see, getting our view of ourselves not from what we think, nor from what others think, but only from what Jesus Christ thinks, is the healthiest, most bulletproof self-understanding we can possibly have. So we've, uh, we've seen who John the Baptist is, the voice, who Jesus is, the victor. Now... We need to look briefly at three, the vocation. The voice and the victor call us to a very special purpose. We have a calling, a vocation. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word translated behold is a very strong word and it means to gaze intently at the beauty of something. And it means to have our whole being captivated by it and all our powers constrained by it. You see, John first heard the voice of the victor, Jesus Christ, speaking to him. Where did John hear it? In the scriptures, the word of God, in the power of the spirit. And John beholds him. He gets it. He is captivated by him. And the direct result of this is that John becomes a voice too. He receives a vocation, a calling to be a witness to Jesus Christ. And you know, when you are truly captivated by something, you can't shut up about it. At home, I've got an Expo Bar Minore 4 coffee machine, twin boiler, not one but two boilers. It's got an E61 group which is reticulated. That means you've got excellent heat stability and it looks truly beautiful, all gleaming chrome and stainless steel. And man, the coffee it makes. Especially my favourite, perfect Ethiopian Yergachev Ristretto. Anyway, it's brilliant. Hey, you should get one. 
Now, I can only say, if someone can get that excited about a mere coffee machine, well, how much more would we not shut up about the revelation of Jesus Christ? And as John heard and then became a voice, so we also hear and then become voices. We likewise receive a vocation, a calling to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And so that'll mean that we too will get our identity not from what others say nor from what we think about ourselves. What a relief. We'll get it from what Christ says of us. We'll get it from the glory and greatness of Christ channeling through us, being shared with us. And this liberates us from the crushing burden of having to strive to attain some identity that we or others think we've got to measure up to. And getting our identity from Christ will also stop us putting crushing burdens on others because, you see, if we think that life is about achieving our identity, we'll always be comparing ourselves with others always be pressing them to have to try and live up to some unreasonable standard or looking down on them and judging them, what's that do? Destroy relationships. And an identity based upon grace alone also means that we'll be truly humble like John was. Since all we have is given, there's nothing for us to boast about yet we'll be completely assured and secure in Christ. Not self-assured, grace-assured. All we have to do is, like John, behold Christ. And we must. Amen.